Well, good morning, Bethel. If you don't know me, my name is Steve. I'm from needapreacher.ca. And every once in a while, they need a preacher here, and Pastor Alan lets me come, and then he leaves. He says, that's because I trust you. I should do something really crazy some Sunday. I bet he'll stay the next time, won't he? It's good to be with you. I need God's help this morning. I'm going to ask for it, and then we're going to jump in. Father God, thank you for this time in worship this morning as we've lifted our voices to the King. And now, Lord, would you be pleased to walk amongst us? May we hear the sound of sandaled feet as you minister to us. And may you meet the needs that we have, which are so unique and individual and Uh, For some of us, we have a deep need this morning for something from you. And so, Father, your servant acknowledges what you are very aware of, that the task at hand he's not uh, capable of nor worthy of, so would you please help? And if I say something that is not of you, Lord, would that uh, slip away? And uh, would you minister to us? Father, we love you. We want you to hear that from our lips this day, this morning. We pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen and amen. Open your Bibles uh, this morning, however you have that, uh, digitally, by print, uh, to Romans chapter 12. And as you're turning to Romans chapter 12, let me ask you a question this morning. How many of us uh, here today have had some relational bumpiness over the last two years or so? Anybody? where something has bumped and bruised and there's been some kind of upset or some kind of hurt, words said, words not said, uh, some position, things that have risen that are sort of secondary and become primary sort of convictions, and all of a sudden we say, what in the world? Man, some relationships are under stress, or even worse, maybe significantly fractured. This morning as we open God's Word, I, I want to take us back to what we are called to as followers of Jesus. And the book of Romans, of course, is the theological treatise of the New Testament. And Paul writes it to give us a foundational sense of what it means to live the Christian life. And chapter 12 is kind of a transition in the pericope in the text where we go from more the theological to the practical. And so we're going to pick up the text this morning at... uh, chapter 12, beginning at verse 9. My message this morning is entitled, Honor One Another. Simply that, honor one another. So hear the word of the Lord, Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse number 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. It's not so easy. 
Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. This is God's Word. Let me take us back to one powerful clarifying verse in two sentences. Love one another with brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. Let's take that that one verse a sentence at a time. Love one another. Love. Now, if you've heard messages on love, and if you've been in church a long time, you've heard them. And this is where preachers love to dissect and examine and extract the meaning of love and the types of love and the examples of love. And you're hoping there will be some sort of exit clause that you don't have to love the guy next door because he's a bit of a jerk. And if we get enough explanation on this whole love thing, maybe, you know, maybe we'll have some room on that. And to that I say, enough. It means what it means. Love means like. Well, I love them, but I I don't think I like them. Love means like. Love means serve. Love means care. Love means listen. Love means respect. And love means connect. Fortunately, uh, love also means correct. Now, we often are ready to do that one, right? Love means forgive and love means forget. Love in eight words. Like, serve, care, listen, respect, correct, forgive, and forget. Don't be distracted from love by theorizing. Just love. Just love. And then Paul writes one another. Now let me give you some background to these two words. One another. Love one another. What is the greater context in which this lives? Well, Paul wrote the book of Romans at the end of his third missionary journey. Uh, This is approximately the winter of A.D. 55-57, right in around there. And the reason he wrote this letter... And we read in chapter 1, verse 7, he writes, To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. That's who he's writing to. And he's writing this because seven years earlier, in A.D. 49, Emperor Claudius, and Claudius is the grandson of Augustus, Claudius ran out of Rome all of the Jewish Christian leaders. They were run out, run off. And uh, in fact, we see, if you look at Acts chapter 12, verse 8, you'll see Aquila and Priscilla were two of those leaders that were run out of Rome, those Jewish Christian leaders. And when this happened, the church was gutted of much of its leadership in Rome, and the Gentile Christians had to step up and, and, and take charge and begin to lead, which they did exactly that. Now, Claudius died, Emperor Claudius died five years later from speaking too long. I'm watching the clock carefully. (laughs) He was poisoned. I'm careful about what freezy I'm handed outside. (laughs) And many of those same Jewish leaders now drifted back to Rome. So they were out of Rome, 
The Roman church, now the Jewish leaders, Claudius is dead. They come back to what is familiar to their home churches and home congregations. They come back, and lo and behold, the churches they found that they had left were not the ones they returned to. It's a bit like COVID. Because things do change. Things change. Has that ever happened to you? Something changes? And you go, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure I agree with that. I wonder why they changed that. Uh, Is that a good change? I don't know. Is that a good change? Maybe even worse. Or ratchet it up. I think I'm going to push back on that because that's different. I don't like that. That's what happens. And this is the context, brothers and sisters, into which Paul is speaking. And this has very significant impact on the second sentence of this verse that we're going to get to very shortly. And I'm going to push you a little bit here. If you've studied Romans at all, you have come across what is often written about as the verses about the stronger brother and the weaker brothers. You ever read that? Familiar to you? And uh, often this classification, when people read it and they think about it, the classification goes something like this. The stronger Christian is the one with greater maturity and they're grounded and they got things sorted out. And the weaker one, of course, is the immature Christian and they have not arrived at the same level of understanding. And I'm here to tell you that most every Christian puts themselves in the first category. Thankfully, I'm mature. Got things sorted out. My opinion means something. And many scholars believe the weak were Christians who actually observed the Mosaic law. So they could not be fully extracted from the Mosaic law or their Judaism, even though they knew new life in Christ. And many scholars believe that's the terminology that Paul is using in regards to the weaker Christian. And the Christian who believes that he cannot practice certain doubtful things, listen carefully, is not an immature Christian. As many people assert. And when these Jewish Christians returned to Rome, they were the weaker, and remember Paul himself is a Jew, In fact, he calls himself a Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised on the eighth day, a Jew's Jew. Paul is saying this weaker minority is likely these Jewish Christians, and they viewed their faith and practice in different ways than the Gentile Christians. And so when they came back together, all of a sudden, guess what? Bumpity bump. And then, we read this, and what it means is we can and we must love one another 
even when we hold different positions. As Christians, listen carefully, church, as Christians, you do not need to alter your convictions to accord with the conscience of another Christian. Let me say that again. You do not need to alter your convictions to accord with the conscience of another Christian who holds a different perspective. In fact, Paul is very clear about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 29. He says, For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? So you do not need to alter your conviction. But listen very carefully to the nuance, because this is where we have come off the tracks. We don't need to alter our conscience, but we do need to alter our behavior in the presence of the weaker brother or sister or the one that holds a different conviction or opinion, because that is love. That's love. Okay? And we read about that in Galatians. We read about that through the Jerusalem Council when there's this issue that comes to the church leaders about, you know, you know these Christians and do I have to fold in certain Jewish practices? And the Jerusalem Council makes it very clear. It says, honor those brothers and sisters who have a different sense of conscience and conviction. And so the knowledgeable Christian could enjoy privately with thankfulness things that sadly had become in the presence of these weaker brothers a contemptible act eliciting condemnation. To do what my conscience allows, listen carefully, to do what my conscience allows is not always right. Okay? And to do what it questions is always wrong. You know, if it's sin to you, then it is what? Sin. If the Spirit convicts you. A loving Christian should not be contemptuous toward the opinion of another brother or sister in Christ on a doubtful question. Neither should a loving Christian with greater liberty be censorious, if you will, towards the stronger because of what their conscience allows him. Both have a right to opinion, and both are responsible to God for it. Amen? And I'm going to give you an example, a real-life example. This might not get me invited back again, but nonetheless, here we go. Alcohol. When I was pastoring, I had people come to me who would want me to get in the pulpit and stand up in front of my big church and say, alcohol is forbidden. It's sin. The problem with that is Jesus goes to a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and guess what he does? He makes wine. Now, I'm here to tell you that alcohol, per se, in the way I read and interpret the Scriptures is not forbidden of God, or Jesus would have involved himself in a sinful act. 
Having said that, a whole bunch of you should never touch alcohol. Because the devil's going to take a hold of that. And I know of which I speak because both my parents were alcoholics. Okay? But I don't forbid it. But there's things that Satan knows about you that you probably wish he didn't. And we need to be careful when we go out as a group and you have no problem ordering a beer with other Christians, but there may be somebody at your table that's going to have great difficulty with that, and that means you don't order a beer because you love them. And you don't sit there, well, I got greater liberty. Yes, you do. You may have a different feeling about it, but you're cautious about how you exercise that. And we've seen all these opinions and ideas about COVID and different sides of the equation. I was speaking at a church about a year ago, and I thought it was funny at the time. And I knew they'd had some struggles with different opinions on COVID. And I got up and I said, uh, I was going to wear my COVID t-shirt, try and satisfy everybody. On the front it says, vax to the max. And on the back it says, Corona is Bologna. <laughs> See, I thought it was funny. But it created a, a sense of nervousness amongst the people. Several years ago, I was at a banquet in Florida with a bunch of ministry leaders. A lady sat next to me, and I thought, I, I should know this lady. And she introduced herself. Her name's Susan Perlman. Susan Perlman and Moisha Rosen founded Jews for Jesus. Anybody heard of Jews for Jesus? So Susan Perlman, Moisha Rosen, they were the co-founders. She's about as Jewish as you can get. Susan Perlman. She came to Christ because she was walking in, in uh, Greenwich Village, walking, and a guy was carrying a guitar case, and he had a... a a, a button on that says Jesus saves and she said what does that mean because she had grown up in an orthodox Jewish home where they'd have the body in the house and they'd mourn when something the whole deal right she said what does that mean and they were standing in front of a coffee shop and she and he said come in I will tell you I'll buy you coffee and I'll tell you what that means and he told her and then he said hey what are you doing tonight because I'm performing at a coffee house it was Larry Norman does anybody remember Larry Norman Christian musician from decades past and he actually shared the gospel with Susan Perlman. She came to Christ. We sit down at this banquet in Florida. She sits next to me. She's telling me the story. I'm just blown away by how God has used this woman. She's just an immensely capable, brilliant, loves Jesus, messianic Jew. And what do you think they bring for dinner at this fancy banquet? Pork. Oy vey. So you know what I said to Susan? The guy was handing it out, and she said, oh, is that pork legs? And she said, no, thanks. And I said, Susan, if I eat this pork, is that going to cause you offense? Because I don't want to offend you. You know, I can afford to miss a meal or two. And she said, oh, no, no, that's fine, and I appreciate your sensitivity to that. She said, growing up in a Jewish home, we never, ever had pork. I never acquired a taste for it. I just don't care for the taste of it, but it doesn't bring offense to me. But she was appreciative that I was sensitive. And with that, I just jammed it in my mouth. Just kidding. <laughs> but you see, we need to have that kind of sensitivity. And I think it was only the Spirit of God that did that because, I mean, I looked at this pork line out of me. It looks pretty good. But we need to be sensitive to one another. 
With brotherly affection. See, this is the how. This is the familial love because God has made us a family. And if God is our Father, then we're brothers and sisters. Amen? And therefore, we are united in a love that other people should see only in those of a natural loving family. Wow, that is a family. And sociologists tell us now that because homes and families and marriages are so fractured that there's been a shift in the last 30 years where people consider their family not those who created them, but those who love them. Because in some cases, those who created them is so crushed and broken. Some translations say, uh, translate this as kindly affectionate to one another. And, you know, this should not just be a family in a formal sense, right? But in a sense that is marked by a love not seen anywhere else amongst us. And we often see phrases, you know, that it, uh, you know, when we think about our relational family, right? And people say, well, why would you do that? Well, I did it because they're family. You ever, ever said that? I wouldn't have done that. That drives me nuts. Maybe, you're, And you say, yeah, but they're family. And so you do things for family that are beyond sometimes reasonably expected. What does family do? Family runs in when everybody else is running out. Right? Family goes the extra mile. And then a few more. Family sacrifice and serves and suffers and weeps and delights right alongside of one another. That's family love. Others are safe and loved and honored when you're not present. Have you ever thought that you were being loved and honored in some setting and then you found out afterwards you weren't? Uh, Years ago, I was in a little country called Moldova former Soviet Union country. It's right next to Ukraine, and they're receiving thousands of refugees right now from Ukraine into Moldova. And I was in Moldova, and uh, I, when I was in the missions world, I ran a mission agency for a number of years, and when I was in the missions world, I was traveling a lot, and different countries, I'd buy hats. You know, see, you got to collect something, right? So I was buying different hats, and my, my kids, you know, were younger, and, and they thought it was kind of fun. So, I'd buy, so I'm in Moldova, this Russian country, and I'm in this huge marketplace, and they're selling everything, and I decide to buy a Yushanka, which is the Russian hat with the fur. Do you know that hat? You know, and it ties up above, and it has the flaps, and they wear them in every Russian movie, right? Okay, the Yushanka. So I go to this booth in this marketplace. Of course, I speak virtually no Russian, and the guy's got all the hats piled up, and he's got this, these beautiful fur Yushankas, and I'm thinking, I'm going to buy one of those. So I pick one, and I put it on my head, and it's like this just won't even fit on my head. It's just like this, you know? And I'm trying to put them on, and this man standing there who runs his little booty looks at me, and he's smiling. And finally, he takes my head in his hands, reaches across the table, and he looks at me, and, and he says, Arabus. And I'm thinking, wow, he's really honoring me. That is, it must mean handsome, <laughs> noble, George Clooney-like, I don't know what it means, but he goes, Arabus, and I go, oh, Arabus, and I'm thinking, he's seeing in me what all those girls in high school didn't, right? So, 
I don't, and he's trying, and finally he, he, he says, wait, and he runs down about six more booths, because, you know, there's people selling hats at every tenth booth, to a friend of his, and he trades a hat, and he comes back with this hat, and he puts it on, and it fits, and he goes, ah, out of Thank you. So I buy the hat and away I go. I find my missionary friend, Richard, and, and, and I, I said, look, I bought this hat. He goes, oh, that's really cool. And it was really cool. And I said, by the way, what does, what does Arabus mean? And he said, Arabus? And I said, yeah. He said, oh, that means watermelon. <laughs> watermelon. That's nice, eh? See, I, I thought... I was having honor and, and being loved and be bestowed, and then, then I find out, watermelon, you don't want to take my hat back, right? <laughs> ever happened to you? Worse still, have you ever been part of that? Where somebody's not present, and we don't love them the way we should, we don't honor them, we say things, we, we, we think in unkind ways, we repeat stuff we shouldn't have repeated. Four chapters earlier, Paul writes this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hard stop. You are in the relentless, Paul is telling us, the relentless grip of God's love. And if you want to identify as one of his children, your brothers and sisters should be held by you in the ever-strengthening grip of unconditional love. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. One time I was uh, teaching a seminary course and a lady came up to me at the end and I was talking about family, and she said this. I thought it was a beautiful little saying. She says, you know what family stands for? I said, no. She goes, forget about me. I love you. I thought that was a great thing. It should be in a Christian bookstore on a plaque for $49.95. Verse 10. I'm going to move along quickly here. Verse 10. Paul is writing further. Listen. Outdo one another in showing honor. Paul is not advocating hypocrisy, folks. Quite the opposite. He's advocating humility. That's how you show honor one to another. And that love which so eagerly seeks out and rejoices in honors the good qualities in other brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, Any any English uh, lovers here, novel readers... Thomas Hardy was one of the most famous writers in England. Anybody heard of Thomas Hardy? Far from the matting crowd, Tess of the D'Urbervilles, brilliant writer in his day. He was a fantastic poet, and he got to the place where everything he was writing was being published. And he was a pretty big deal in his day. I mean, a really big deal. But you know what he did, very interestingly? Every time he sent out a poem or a story, a manuscript... He mailed it off to a newspaper or a publisher. He enclosed a self-addressed stamped envelope in case it was rejected. He was humble enough, this great, prolific, gifted writer, was humble enough to allow himself to face the possible rejection of his work by some 
junior editor that he didn't even know. And every person in any hopeful and loving relationship, especially in the church, regardless of where the world places them on the scale of importance or fame or recognition, needs to be honored. So what does that look like? Well, honor is an internal attitude manifested and validated by outward actions. That's how you honor one another. And let me quickly give you these. How do I honor others? First, you respect them. Well, how do you do that? You hear their story. You hear their story. I, decide, I desire to understand your journey. I give due regard to your feelings, to your wishes, to your traditions and your experiences. I, I honor you and I respect you and I do that. I want to know your story. The first way you honor others is you respect them. The second is courtesy. Common courtesy. What has happened to common courtesy? Right? Politeness and kindness in word and deed. We have lost the constituents of politeness. Uh, anybody notice when you go through like Starbucks and you order a coffee, right? And you, you drive up to the window and you pay for your coffee and you say thank you and they go, no worries. No worries. Well, why would there be any worries? I just gave you $9 for a coffee that cost you eight cents to make. <laughs> of course, there's no worries. Now, I, I am a student of words. I, I love words. I love vocabulary. I love language. Do you know where welcome comes from? It comes from an old English Gaelic word, welcuma, which is the combination of pleasure and guest. Thank you. Oh, you're a pleasure guest. See, words mean something. They mean something. Thirdly, and let me just say this, you practice common courtesy, you keep yourself on the outside of a lot of trouble. Third, reverence. Reverence. Reverence is this deeper level of respect, not found in the fact that we think alike, Reverence of one another is found in the reality that we are all created alike in the image of God. Have we been dinged by sin? Has the image been blurred and marred? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. But this is why Paul can write to the church in Ephesians 5 that we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We can allow that same reverence, not at the level that we esteem God, but we can deliver it one to another. And then the fourth way that you honor one another is you submit to them. Submission. A big problem at Rome, and as I, at Rome, as I mentioned, is a, some disagreement over some conjectural issues when these Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians came back together. Uh, some were settled on either side of the issues. Let me ask you this, have you ever went to a war over a perspective that you held, and then later you regretted and said, oh, I shouldn't have held that so firmly? You know, hold your opinions lowly and loosely, hold the truth of God's word tightly and exalted. Churches and brothers and sisters in Christ have broken fellowship and dinged our relationship one another 
and hurt the heart of God over so many secondary issues. And there's lots of different perspectives on worship and dietary laws and ethics between the Jewish Christians and the Roman Christians. And in spite of all those differences, Paul says, honor one another. Honor those who hold positions that you even can't comprehend. Well, how do you do that? You know how one of the ways you can do it? We read it. It said show hospitality. You decide to go sit at another's table or invite them to sit at your table instead of banging on their table about what you hold firmly. Fundamentally, the way you do that, how do you honor one another? Well, you can do it willingly when this happens. When you have died to self completely. About eight years before Paul wrote this letter to the church at Rome, he wrote a letter to the churches at Galatia. This was on the return from his first missionary journey. And in that letter, he wrote his obituary of his ego. And of course, you know the verse, because you've quoted it and heard it quoted. Paul writes, the obituary to his ego, I am what? Does anybody know? crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live. This is not about me, right? But Christ who lives in me. Christ is on the throne of my life. And then the life I now live in the flesh, surrendered it, it's died, I've given it over to the Lord. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know what? Based on what Christ has done to me, I humble myself, I die to self. Christ is exalted. I've given way to my ego, and that makes honoring one another's much, much easier. Paul said, I don't have to protect my legacy or build my portfolio or stroke my ambition or seek out recognition. I'm dead to everything of self. He demonstrates humility, friends, not hypocrisy. He knows there are people against him and dangerous to his mission. But to those who are mixed up and messed up and sincere followers of Christ, he honors them. And Paul also, second part, chooses not to take offense for the mistreatment and missteps directed towards him. Sometimes he warns others about what's happened to him by those people, but that's about the extent of it. He knows that family fights hurt the cause deeply. You know, I so often talk to Christians when I was pastoring. I would talk to folks in our church and they would share a story about how somebody, another brother and sister in Christ, family member, had said something or done something that had wounded them and they were carrying that for years. And they just couldn't be free of that. And a wonderful story. Two guys are on a fishing pier in Florida. You ever seen these guys, they stand up here and they have these big fishing poles, you know, they catch these big... And, and everybody's on the fishing pier, and there's two guys, and one guy yells out, I got one on! I got one on! Now, if you've ever been on a fishing pier fishing, when somebody yells out, do you know what you do? If you're one of the other fishermen, you reel in and let them... If you're near him, you reel in so that that man or woman, they can pull their fish in. So a guy yells out, I got one on! I got one on! And another guy yells almost at the same time, I got one on. And so they start reeling, and everybody's looking off the pier, and these two guys, you know, are, and, and they realize that the two guys, what do you think has happened? Same fish. 
One hooked him in the mouth, and as the fish flailed, hooked his tail on the other guy's big three-pronged hook. So they're reeling the same fish. And the one guy said this, listen carefully. He says, I'm going to cut my line. And the other said, cut the line? You're, you got the fish too. You know, you're, it's your fish as well. He said, no, no, I'm going to cut the line. I can let the fish off my hook because he's on his hook. Listen carefully. Somebody's hurt you and treated you and, and done something painful to you. Cut the line, let them off your hook because they're still on God's hook. You leave it with the Lord. Let the Lord soak it. Not like, I hope God gets you. Not like they just say, I can give that over to the Lord because I have been crucified with Christ. And you give it over. Be free from it. Be free from it. That's what David does to Saul, right? He's free from it. He gives it over to the Lord. How does David do that? How does David forgive and, 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 and not take revenge on a King Saul trying to kill David, whom he once had in his house and loved this David? Now he tries to kill him. How does David do that? Well, we, we know because we can read it in Psalm 142. David says, I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors. They are too strong for me. He gives it over to the Lord. Let me share this as I close. Uh, we lived one hour from Clemson University. Anybody heard of Clemson University? Just... North Carolina there. We lived about an hour from there uh, for six years. We lived in South Carolina. There's, every university has legends. One of the legends at Clemson University is a guy named Ben Scarden. Ben Scarden. And he just, I just read that he died in November, this past November, November 16, 2021. But he was a legend at Clemson University, graduated in the class of 1938. So when he died, he was old. Uh, he was a beloved figure, uh, figure amongst the Clemson family, and he passed away. He'd had an amazing life. I read another story about Ben's garden. In 2019, at the White Sands Missile Range in New Mexico, he participated in his last... Bataan Memorial Death March. Now, if you wonder what that is, back in World War II, when uh, 75,000 Filipino and American troops surrendered to the Japanese, they went on the Bataan Death March, and it was between 50 and 80 miles, depending on who you were, you know, what group you were in. And it was arduous and terrible, and there was murder and death. And, and so to commemorate that and to remember that, 7,000 people for many years have went to the White Sands Mitchell Range and went on this desert hike, because it's very arduous. And so for many years, after those 7,000 would start and with the crowd would move, then a guy would step up to the starting line who was the only survivor of the Bataan Death March, still living, Ben Scarden. And Ben Scarden would walk. And he would, of the 26 miles, that's how far they would walk, he would only walk 8.5 because he was 102. Okay, I think we can give you some room on that. They said he walked as steady and as determined as a desert tortoise. He was a newly minted captain leading the 92nd Infantry Regiment. 
They were captured. They had to surrender. Things went from bad to worse for Scarden and his comrades. And they marched 60 miles to a prison camp in scorching heat through the Filipino jungles. Thousands didn't make it. Scarden survived over three years in the death camp. He became deathly ill with malaria and diarrhea and other things. And two of his fellow soldiers, who happened to be his schoolmates, and they were in the same battalion together, they actually, their names were Henry Leitner and Otis Morgan, they kept him alive, Ben Scarden alive, by spoon-feeding him, and actually sold Ben's gold ring to get medicine from the guards to keep him alive. Otis and Henry never made it out of the death camp. They both died there, but Ben made it out. Ben said this, listen friends, as we close, my debt to Henry Leitner and Otis Morgan is heavy. It cannot be repaid. People ask me, how can you account for being alive when your best friends died? And he said, I can't. So I walk. I walk to honor those long dead brothers. And at a hundred he walked, and he inspired hundreds of others by his gratitude, born out of honor. Brothers and sisters, love one another. Honor one another. It is infectious, and I have found that in so doing, you will experience the pleasure of God. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Father, forgive us when we have done poorly in this whole area of honor one to another, and we've held our own opinions high, and we've been intolerant and unlistening. We've lacked the decency of courtesy. Father, may the world see in us brothers and sisters of you, our Father, a love that is relentless and abounding and unconditional. May we die to ourselves so that we can put aside our own egos and we can look more like you who died for us. We love you, Lord. Amen and amen.